Iron Jungle podcast is raw, it's real, it has zero gimmicks, zero bullshit, and absolutely zero fucks to give. Welcome to the Iron Jungle. This is real, no bullshit, no holds barred, wide fucking open podcast. We've been at this far too long to be fucking around. This is the jungle. Where anything goes, no holds barred. We're going to be talking about the real shit. How to succeed in a world where you have goals, but there's so much misinformation and bullshit trying to sell you something. This is the informative podcast. And there's no holds barred in the jungle. The question is, are you ready? Welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle, baby. Welcome to the iron jungle. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside the Iron Jungle Podcast. Keep rolling along. Drew, we've been, I think I said this every episode, people love it. People are loving the bluntness, the honesty, the no bullshit, zero fucks to give attitude that we promised people we are going to give. And ever since episode one, I don't even know what episode we're on now, but that's exactly what we've been giving. Every week, people are reposting on IG or Facebook and just, like I said, absolutely loving that somebody has the balls to stand up and tell it how it's supposed to be told. Absolutely, man. I've loved it so far. The feedback's been phenomenal. Um, I said, it's been even better than I envisioned it to be. So I'm fine tuned up, got this done. We're bringing great content, a lot of positive feedback, no holds barred. And we're going to keep that fucking trend going. I fucking love it. Today's yeah. going to be a great topic. It's a topic that inevitably you and I have both thought about doing in our lives. Let's not care ourselves. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast have thought about this as well. Because if you want to be involved within the fitness or sports nutrition industry, your mind goes to essentially one of three places. The first place is starting a gym. You can open a gym and run a gym. Fucking everybody wants to do that. Everybody would love to be able to walk into their own facility and say, this is my iron paradise. Number two would be starting an online or a traditional brick and mortar type of a supplement store, selling supplements to your friends, family, people within the neighborhood. But third and probably the most maybe popular selection that people think about doing, and a lot of people actually take the step to do it and working with a contract manufacturer or whatever it might be is actually going and taking the step to starting their own sports nutrition, quotes, brand. And, and like I said, you and I have been in this space, you've been in this space longer than I have, but inevitably it's crossed our minds. We've thought about it before and we've thought about what does it take to actually build not just a brand, but a successful brand. And it's not as easy as people think it is. Now, the, the barrier to entry is extremely low compared to what it once was. Like, I believe you could start a supplement brand tomorrow for 10K or less. I mean, if you're good with web design and you can, you're good with, um, you know, obviously negotiation in terms of a contract manufacturing situation. But today we want to talk about the realities behind basically starting a supplement brand, how to be successful and what most companies that, you know, they end up at, the, they, they spend all their money on a booth at the Arnold and next year they're gone. And, you know, those are definitely things that we want to talk about. And Drew, you've experienced this firsthand by seeing so many of these companies probably reach out to you, asking you for your advice, asking you how to succeed. You probably gave them the right advice. They didn't take it. And now they're collecting unemployment or they're working for somebody else back in, uh, you know, some gas station somewhere in, in Nevada. So take it away, buddy. Take it away. First and foremost, I apologize for listening if audio isn't on point, as it always is. I'm on the road. We're doing this from an iPad, but the podcast does not rest. You find time to get things done. The common underlying theme, work, fucking hustle, and here we're making podcasts. So from the iPad, let's dive into this topic. I'm excited, man. The first and foremost thing, the root of all evil, people fucking forget the amount of money it takes to yeah. start a supplement brand. You mentioned that the barrier for entry is lower than it used to be. And that is absolutely true. However, I don't think people have a true grasp of how much money up front just to get rolling it is to start a brand. It's not a matter of, oh, I'm just going to get some product made and sell it for $50 a piece. Okay, that's that's the end game, past the middle midpoint. 
That's nowhere near the um, finish line. So in starting even right off the bat, you need to start with your branding, your brand design, your packaging, the material cost, um, your flavoring system, anything just to kind of get the product developed. If you're a new company, chances are um, some of this, you're not going to be able to get um, a good, huge comment off the bat. Let me explain this. These big contract manufacturers, ones I primarily work with, I, I work with bigger brands, um, and I have a lot of buying power. You know, obviously they're not worried about getting fucking paid. Yeah. They allow me to have a little more flexibility. I can do smaller run sizes, and even then, and run sizes. What I mean by that, typically have a minimum order quantity. A contract manufacturer, most times, at least ones I work with, are going to be able to run of less than twenty five hundred units. There are co-mans out there that'll do smaller runs. Mm-hmm. Trade off is the fewer run, fewer. Um, items you order, the more expensive you're probably going to have per unit, the more you order, so if you have some right. buying power, they'll cut you a break because you're giving them more business. Use it tiers of 5, 10, 15, whatever it may be. So it can vary. Okay. So even if you find a smaller co-man, you're probably going to have a higher price depending on what your product is. That's one of the things initial-wise. And now the thing you need to understand, if you find that co-man, that's great, but understand something. Everybody sees the end point when it comes to a product. They see that sitting on the shelf for say, um, $49.99. Okay. Between that sale price, that, that remember the company, they're not making $49 off you by selling this. Okay. No. Step one, you're purchasing through the contract manufacturer usually, because most people do commands in turnkey. You're having your ingredient source. There's a cost of goods. How much does it cost for your actual ingredients in that product? Then you have to add in, say, a flavor system, obviously includes flavoring, sucralose, acids, excipients, make the product flow, so on and so forth. Um, there's to be labor costs associated with that to have the mixing, bottling, so on and so forth. You obviously need a package, so a bottle cost at a label. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, a contract manufacturer, say like all that, the materials cost, say eight, your packaging and uh, everything else brings up like 950. Your contract manufacturer still has to make some money. Right. So at the end of that, you're adding on a cost to that. So say you have this product, oh, well, I can get it for this. It still may cost you, say, $12.50. Okay, so between that forty nine and twelve fifty, unless you're selling direct, you're also going to have to pay a distributor. So, mm-hmm. GMP, Vitamin Shop, uh, Europa, like a third party, you're going to have to pay. You know, they're going to buy the product from you, but they're not going to be paying forty nine dollars. They have to buy it from you and then turn around and mark it up and still make money. It's not point A to point B. There's A, you're buying it. B to the distributor. C, to the customer from that from the retailer. You can sell direct, but then you don't have as much distribution usually, and also you kind of have to pick one or the other. A lot of companies, distributors don't like being undercut by direct to consumer. So some brands it works really well. Redcon's one that sells a ton right. of direct to consumer. Their distribution isn't as large, and that's our business model. It works really well for them. The reality is most brands do not sell direct to consumer. Chance of being on a store shelf, new product is higher margin. Okay, so understand that, and then maybe. Well, shocking to some, but it's this big investment. So say even at $10 a unit, I'll round it down, and you have to order like 2,500 units, that's a $25,000 investment. Or off the bat, you're not making any money. You're dropping $25,000 just to buy the product to hope that you sell it all, to start making a profit. Yeah. doesn't count your marketing. You're probably not selling to yourself, so you need a sales team. I mean, you can do small runs. Once again, if I, uh, you know, scale back and, oh, we've, we've had, we did, say, 100 units at, you know, $10, $10, you know, still, okay. That's still an investment. You have to pay money up front. So, I mean, I, I, there's no shade, no stranger pushing POs of, you know, 90K to $100,000 for a product at one time. Just, okay, boom, credit, 25% down payment, ship it, and that's a business done. That's where we'll talk about later. Some brands, when they get to a certain point, the cash flow becomes constricted. You tie up your money and product to sell it, but then to make more, 
it gets to be a game. That's what forecasting all seems to an effect, which we'll talk about in a bit. So I guess out of that, does any of that surprise you, Ryan? No, no, it doesn't at all. I mean, and you also, you forgot, like, there's there's a shipping cost too, right? So, like, I mean, if you're selling direct, then you're paying USPS or whatever. And most times, if you're a smaller brand just starting off, they're not giving you a price break on shipping. You're paying literally the flat rate envelope of 8 bucks. So now it's $8 to ship one unit of pre-workout that you're selling direct for forty nine ninety nine. that Drew just talked about. You're paying a contract manufacturer for the COGS. You're paying for the label. You're paying for the unit. You're paying for the flavoring system. Sometimes they charge you a little bit more because they carry the insurance to protect your ass as, as a smaller brand. There's a lot to it. Now, if you're running a Shopify website, now you have a Shopify fee each month overhead. So there's a lot of times as a consumer, when you look at a price tag of a dietary supplement, you think to yourself, my God, why is that thing 40 bucks? And I've, I've, you know, back in the day before I fool, fully understood like the entire chain, you know, you can reverse engineer stuff and say, well, this thing costs them, you know, $7 to make. And, 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 and to be like, to be honest, like if you want to do that, that's totally cool because that does give you an opportunity to understand like what type of product you think you're purchasing compared to what's out there. Cause there are some brands that have a better formula that traditionally would cost more, but they might have a competitive advantage in terms of maybe they're vertically integrated. A company like Nutribio that we, that we are fully like um, friends with, you know, they're vertically integrated. So it might cost them a little bit less to make something so they can afford to make their products a little bit more of higher quality. But that's, that's a huge part. Um, and Drew mentioned like when you started, you want to start with branding. And I always said like anytime you start a business in general, you need to start with what is your competitive advantage? What is going to be your point of differentiation? Are you going to be, are you just going to copy RedCon1's formulas? Are you going to copy, you know, ProSub's formulas or whoever? Like, what are you going to do different? Like, why, why are people going to give a shit about you? Just because your friends and family and people in the gym think that you work out, you're a meathead, and you might be able to develop something cool, doesn't mean it's a sustainable business. Okay, you, I mean, think about who goes to your gym and how many members are there and how many friends you have. That is not enough people to purchase your product because they're going to be purchasing your product, what, every four weeks maybe because it takes them that long to finish it? There's no way you're keeping the lights on. So how are you going to attract somebody out there that has no fucking idea who you are, what you stand for? I mean, is it, is it based on formulas alone? I'll tell you right now, as much as I'm a geek about formulas, as much as this guy on the screen is a geek about formulas, the average everyday consumer does not give a fuck about formulas. They don't know about them. So you have to attract them on the other things, the branding like you talked about, the marketing. What is going to be your hook to get them into your universe, into your, into your basically your funnel and, and then on top of that, to keep them there. Because after you get the consumer there, you need, a, you need customer retention. It's so much cheaper to have a loyal customer than this to go out there and pay acquisition costs in, in Facebook or Instagram or Google AdWords. There's just a ton to it. So, yeah, it's low-cost entry in terms of you could, but then you're going to be paying more per unit. But there is a lot more to think about before you get into this business than just, you know, like, hey, it'd be really cool to be that guy standing in front of that Ferrari on Instagram. Like, I want to be that guy. Well, chances are you're not going to be that guy. And here's the reality of the situation. That guy who's standing in front of that Ferrari on Instagram does not own that fucking Ferrari. He rented it or borrowed it and got it from somebody and paid a photographer to take that picture to make them look cooler than they actually are. I think it's, some of them do own the Ferrari. I mean, Lambo, well, some, like, yeah. Maybe Frisella owns like fucking four. Well, but, but uh, yeah, of course he owns a $100 million business, so. Perfect fucking example of my next point here. When it comes to money investment, you're not going to go from zero to $300 million, Okay. Think of a successful fucking business. Bang. That's five, like, half a billion fucking dollars a year. Of half a billion. They're the third largest energy drink in the fucking world behind Red Bull and Monster. To go from that point for a sports tradition is just incredible. Thing is, too, most people, they became huge the last couple of years. I was there back in the end of 2015 and 2016. You go to Expos, you'd be like, hey, you want some bang? What's bang? No one knew the fuck it was. Now you can't go on Instagram with some fucking thought with, the ass, with a fucking ass 
um, floss, you know, like have people count their bicycle spokes doing squats in the park for those crazy workouts because apparently everybody works out in a fucking bikini in the park these days drinking a bang. This isn't a knock against them. It's brilliant marketing, but fuck. You don't go from zero to half a billion dollars over a year. The, the growth has been exponential. And things, if you do it right, growth is not linear. It's going to have peaks, it's going to have valleys, it's going to have hits, and you're going to miss this. They fucking hit on all cylinders through a ton of marketing dollars and free product. Free right. product is marketing as well. Their marketing strategy is fucking brilliant. And I'm not a marketing analyst. I don't claim to be a financial guy. But at expos, the key there, things like that, is cans in hand. Give out cans. People aren't going to stuff it in their trick-or-treat bag full of other fucking samples. Forget about for three months. They're going to carry that thing around. They're going to open it. They can't take it on the plane. They're going to either drink it right then and mm -hmm. there, or they're going to save it for on their trip. You have cans, everybody's hands, walking around the expo. It's omnipresence. So yeah. this isn't a marketing episode, but understand, it takes time. It takes a lot of giving to a degree, smart, strategic, to get to where you grow so people want to buy your product. So let's we'll come back to some of the formulation stuff just because, you know, this uh, my favorite part. Let's talk a little bit about the marketing aspect of it. I mean, it's what's going to sell your product. In reality, how much marketing is it really going to take? I mean, if you look at certain companies, oh, they spend, oh, they sell $300 million, mm -hmm. okay? To make $300 million, you know, people need to realize how much marketing money are you spending? Are you spending say, you know, 30 million and marketing just to get to 300, 300 million, you know, right. obviously you're still making a profit, but that's another thing, the cost of manufacturing, but uh, people forget this. It doesn't matter if you sell a hundred million dollars, if you spend $101 million to sell it, you still lost money. It's not profitable. So it's not just net sale. It's not just to total sales. You have to take into account everything else out there and it's not cheap. The other part too is, you know, certain things, it's going to be hard to gauge your ROI. It drives me fucking crazy. You put this point spot on. You go to an Arnold, go to, um, especially the Arnold or the Olympia. You see these companies you never fucking heard of. They spend 10 grand for this little 10 by 10 booth. I think the cost is around that at least one up. It's yeah. nuts. You never heard the brand. You never see them again. It's on for my issue with the booth space. I mean, you can, it's really hard to gauge your return on investment. Most time at booths, you're not, I'll say 99%, you're not making fucking money. Right. Even if people buy, like, let's say you sell, oh, we sold $10,000 worth of product. Okay. And your booth, you had five people you flew in across the country, three athletes, even if they're not major athletes, hotels, flights, food, shipping the product, <laughs> uh, product shipper sellers, so I'm going to discount because, you know, it's a sale show, you're paying for booth space. Now, booth, you know, San Arnold can cost you for some, even like a smaller booth, upward, you know, $30,000, $40,000 for mm -hmm. a company just for a booth. Okay, great. Like for we a sold single small booth, like you just mentioned, like a singular booth. Uh, a successful one. I mean, you can like do bare bones, but then people aren't giving your booth, they're not going to give a shit. You got to go high, but then again, it's like, are you having a football field length screen like Muscle Tech did a few years ago at the Arnold, or are you going to have a small booth conservative? You need to have a happy medium. I'm not, once again, a marketing guru. But it's the facts. You have to have some presence. You can't just hope for a fucking wing and a prayer. People are going to see it. Their part is athletes. Everybody's, oh, I'm sponsored. Oh, they should sponsor him. They should sponsor me. People that make a living being fucking sponsored are few and far between. Let's be fucking real here. There's ambassadors. You make it a code or you make it like a, um, like a monthly stipend in terms of like some product. The people that are actually sponsored paid athletes, like the elite level ones, are, hey, we're paying you know, for your flights to have you make appearances, photo shoots. Those are few and far between. Right. Reality of it is, even then, it's really hard to gauge a return on investment. Like, oh, we, bit, we bought this, we paid for this athlete for a year contract, two years, whatever it is. They went to all these things, you spent $200,000 on this person. They're making as much as a fucking COO at some companies. Yeah. How much did they contribute to the bottom line? You spent 200 k 
and that's just for their salary. That's not including their flights, their hotels, their right. other expenses, show entries, everything like that. How do you gauge what you gained? Did you make $200,000 back to break even? I don't think so. And this isn't a knock and sound. It's the reality of it. It brings your company exposure, brings your brand credibility. It does things other ways, but you're not going to make money directly by having an athlete. Let's be real. So with that being said, it's not a marketing episode. This is a hard check on fucking money. And if you want to do it, I'm not sharing your way. There's different ways of doing it. People have done it. People continue to do it. There's some small brands popping up. They're done smartly. Like, um, like for example, I always bring up this one, like Chris with Inspired Nutrient. Yep. He came over, started his own brand, doing a small way, right way, and sustainable growth. There's another one called Strong Coffee. I met those guys a few times. I was hanging out with him in San Jose a few weeks ago. Brilliant brand. And it, it's organically growing. But then again, it's a happy medium. Most times you see, oh, we came out with a pre-workout. And it's and because it's next, a clusterfuck of things. Like, okay, why is it special? What This packaging is horrible. I've never heard of you. And you never hear about them again. That one sample is the only sample you'll ever have. Hopefully, mm-hmm. Mike. So. You make a good point there. Like, you talk about Chris, and I don't know if he listens to this podcast, but he is an example of a sports nutrition health company that markets. And then there's, there's marketing companies that happen to sell a dietary supplement or happen, you know, in that case. So that is another big thing too. And, uh, you know, that's something that I look at every single day. It's like, okay, which companies are actually supplement companies who have to spend money on marketing, which marketing is a necessity. You need to spend marketing dollars in order for people to even know who the fuck you are. Now, just for reference, for people listening, like the average marketing budget for a successful sports nutrition company is probably about 10 to 12% um, in terms of if you look at their P&L statement. Now, if you are a, um, a larger company spending drastically more than that, you might be closer to 20%. And there are some companies out there that are doing that. They're spending almost double what everybody else does. And where they're at in their position in the market shows because of that. Like you say their name, everyone knows who the fuck you are. Um, now back to the, the point I was making, like what's the difference between supplement companies that market and marketing companies who sell a supplement? Well, it comes down to essentially the quality of the product, right? I mean, I mean, for what Drew and I do, it really does. They can make a product for maybe three, four bucks, sell it for the same exact price as that company who's actually testing a product for a year, year and a half of formulation to get that right formula. And then, you know, just making a boatload more because they're very good at marketing. Now there is a, there is a happy medium. There are certain companies out there who are supplement companies that are actually really good at marketing as well. And that's like the, the perfect storm. If you can pull that off, it's just most people go into this saying like, we're going to focus on formulas. We're formula people. We're R&D people like Drew, or maybe you're a marketing guy like me. And I'm going to build a marketing company and then everything else is secondary. Um, Drew, you've worked within the industry and you've kind of maybe worked on both sides of that coin a little bit, you know, for, for that type of stuff. Um, and I know we, not to throw any employers under the bus, like at all. That's not what we're doing here. But like the culture, the atmosphere of those companies, how do they differ? Well, let me start with this, a, a good example that's relatable for everybody out there. Think of a marketing company that sells supplements this day and age. This isn't a knock. This is my perception, a good example. Think of something like, say, Suncor. They take a ton of product. They sell, I think, like, what last I heard is about $400 million. It's just some obscene number. And there's mm. some there's some decent products, but let's be real. C4, example, their number one selling product is not a great product. It's not, it's not bad, but it's not great. Okay, compared to somebody on the other hand that doesn't do a lot of marketing, but has a they're getting better, but has a phenomenal brand, like Nutribio. Okay, mm-hmm. they do a fantastic job. For me, there's ones that hit it right down the middle of the fairway. They're not selling hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know their sales, but they're also do killing it on a marketing side right. instead of a ghost. I think that's a pretty damn good example. And they have a balance. They have good formulas. 
they have, you know, uh, the marketing, and that's kind of a tier of all three. And for what I'm saying, uh, the next question back to that is I've been on multiple parts of the spectrum. I've been fortunate enough, typically the brands I've worked with um, on a public level, um, a formula is my name is on the damn thing. I, mm. Nothing goes out the door unless I believe it's the best formula at that price point. I have to bite, you know, sometimes the bullet on a few things. Like, hey, we're making a prerequisite for fucking Walmart. You make the best damn product in Walmart. That's the key. And you, you every go down the list, check off your boxes saying, hey, I made the best product possible at that price point against the competitors. Just do the best thing on the shelf. Right. So that's the approach you have to take. If you're like, oh, what do you think about this at Walmart? And everybody fucking throws up their arms and their something. Like, oh, Walmart sucks. The product's horrible. Well, for your average consumer that has $20 to spend, I'll tell you one thing. I would rather sell a hundred, you know, a million units a year at $20 than sell 50,000 units a year mm-hmm. at $40, right? right? Yeah. I'd take that return on investment. That's yep. fucking smart. Okay? Yeah. We'll talk later on the integration of food, drug, and mass versus specialty, so on and so forth, because there is differences. That's another episode. But the key people you remember is it's all about what you're trying to achieve. There's a few brands uh, I've consulted for for a very long time, and they operate at a high margin. Their products typically cost less. They're marketing. They're kind of middle of the road, and they sell a lot of product. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing special about their products. They just make a really good, solid product, but it's not something that I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. You know, I go recommend everybody. They're not bad. It's just like, eh. Okay, you're definitely on a cheaper side. Yeah. You sweet fucks. And it's going to be frustrating because, you know, even men, you go to work with the co-mans and you're like, hey, cool, can we uh, get this for $4? I'm like, you have a laundry list that's this long and you want all this shit and you want four bucks. It's not going to happen. So you kind of got to pixie dust a little bit. You kind of got to make compromise. Like, hey, what is the key that's going to drive this product, make it efficacious? And then it comes down to, and we're talking next and formulating, you have to have some give and some take. It's interesting on formulations that we want to talk about that because you can mix in the, the marketing aspect with formulations. And I want to, and I don't know if this was on our pre recording notes, but brand ingredients. You know, it, it's in terms of being a formulator yourself and the importance of using brand ingredients. I know that you are obviously working, one of the guys working on, um, you know, Icon, which uses several brand ingredients. The, again, back to the average consumer, they, they don't know what Pico2 is and they don't understand what these, these um, ingredients are. But I know as a formulator, using brand ingredients is of importance because typically they have some good data and science behind it. And a lot of them have grass data and things like that. Is it really important? I mean, is it important to use carnosine beta alanine over beta alanine? Is it important to use, you know, uh, go GBB versus just a standard GBB? Things like that nature. Go BHB. Go B- yeah, sad, yeah. <laughs> Fuckhead, come yeah. on, man, wake, wake up. I know, it's early. Talk in the morning, it's too damn early. With that being said, it's a happy medium. If you're making premium products, for example, one of my babies was Hyde Icon. It has a bunch of branded ingredients, Pico 2. We we're the first to bring dynamine to a broad market, including Vitamin Shop, which is awesome, combination of tea cream. And um, it also had Capros in there, which is a branded gooseberry extract. It had Caliburn, G, uh, Caliburn um, GP, Grains of Paradise. And um, nitrogen and certain things yes it put them in there branded because one the claims you can make two is like the clinical research data and three it's like you're, you're basically when you buy a brand you understand this fuck carnison i don't care if they whatever fuck them they, there's nothing special it's beta alanine you cheap fucks even though they're not cheap but i think carnison costs anywhere from about three times as much as generic beta alanine let's be real you're paying for the branding in this day and age everybody and i'm comfortable saying this knows beta alanine well enough they don't give a shit usually if it's carnison beta alanine a regular, okay? The thing that gets tricky is sometimes you're, even if you um, don't want the brand ingredient, 
some of the companies and a good one like this is, is a system in glutamine. All the claims that you can make on glutamine specifically are done specifically on sustenance. They own the fucking claims. And even then, it, it's uh, some of the other things that you have to be very careful to talk about briefly uh, toward the end is about FDA compliance. I mean, there are certain things you just can't say. That ingredient doesn't do this. It's like, you know, a long, a long drawn out uh, conclusion, you know, like uh, like carnitine. Everybody thinks, oh, it's a, it's a fat burner. But then in reality, carnitine functions to help shuttle fatty acids and mitochondria to be burned. But they hear fatty acids and burned like, oh, fat burner. Right. It doesn't quite work like that. But the answer to the main point of this is sometimes I will use the brand ingredient specifically, even in a cheaper product, because it's something the users will fucking feel. Even if they don't know what the fuck it is, they're going to feel it. Like you, I can guarantee you, you take a gram of nitrosogen compared to normal per workout, you're going to have a hell of a workout. You get right. pumps, better vascularity, better endurance. You're going to feel it. Or if you put in something like Grains of Paradise, a branded version, you can use non-branded, branded. I prefer a branded one. I like the source. It's consistent. You're going to feel the heat. Or if you put in something um, back in the day, like there's um, – I don't remember the brand. It's uh, Lean GVB. It's a gamma bacterial betaine. Certain places you can't use it. It's considered synthetic. It's a, a, carnitine, precur a carnitine precursor. Right. You'll, like you've never fucking sweated in your life. No. Those are things that are sensory. You feel them. Okay. But over time, there's also things you're paying for for claims you can make. And I say a test booster, if you're using certain, um, there's a bunch of them, certain branded versions of fenugreek or um, I think it was ashwagandha, certain mm -hmm. SUs, you're paying for the claims because that was done specifically on that ingredient. Like, oh, ashwagandha boosts testosterone. Well, if you want to make that claim, the study was done on the specific brand ingredient. If you want to use those claims, you have to use the branded version. You're paying for that claim. They yep. own the research. So you can get around that in certain ways, and for you Google formulas out there, you should fucking – I'm going to send you an invoice for the free advice. <laughs> it's, sometimes you can get away with certain things if you're like, A, you can't use as much, or B, you want to make those claims. But the key – and I know you cheap fucks getting free advice here – is you combine things. If you say, oh, um, helps increase muscles, muscle strength and power, okay? If you – or say training endurance, right? If you have, say, beta-alanine there, and just beta-alanine, okay, then you might potentially, depending how nitpicky they want to be, how you word it, come after you if you're not using carnosine. Like, oh, you validated the patent because, you know, that's a carnosine claim. But if you have things like, say, creatine added in there, generic creatine, which isn't done on a brand one necessarily, along with beta-alanine or even betaine anhydrous, whatever it may be, together, if you're not tying that claim to one specific ingredient, you have even more cushion to make those very strong claims. There are certain things, a different episode, you can't just fucking say. Yeah. In this day age, if it's a drug claim, claims to cure anything, claims to have this specific effect, like weight loss is a tricky one, that the FDA is saying, nope, drug claim. And you can't do it. So it's it's an in-between thing, and it does it does play a part. So it's that's a, kind of brand reasoning. Yeah, and the FDA compliance and claims, that's a, like we could spend a whole episode on that for sure. You can start with like Deshea, read that, and then you can just figure out, kind of go from there. Um, back to formulations, your favorite topic within this is like the Google formulators, right? Um, those, or it's like, hey man, I've been using this pre-workout for years, I love it. What if I just add one ingredient to it to make it better, now it's mine. Like, I mean, we've talked about you know, off screen, off, off mic about innovation within the space. And you're kind of limited because there's only X amount of ingredients they can use and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I, I don't necessarily totally agree with that. I think you can get kind of creative with things and you've gotten creative with several products before too, but the guys and girls who go on Google or they look at other pre-workout labels and then they, they formulate based on that. Does it frustrate you, irritate you because they don't actually put in the time and research that an effort as somebody like yourself? I don't really give a fuck because at the end of the day, people will get too tied up in this. It's better these days. Label transparency. Everybody's fucking worried. Like, I'm going to make a great formula. People are going to copy me. I'm like, fucking go ahead. I don't give a shit. 
There was one reality. Two, people are going to try to copy it anyway. And the other part, too, if you're smart enough, I can guarantee you, and I'm not claiming to be a fucking genius, I'm, I'm pretty bright at times, on occasion, I wake up on the right side of the bed, I'm not a complete <laughs> dumb fucking gorilla, you know, I'm the one over there building a log fort. You can, re- we can fucking reverse engineer anything. If I look at a formula, I can guarantee fucking to you with a little bit of time and just like common fucking sense. In my head, I can pick something apart. Like if, oh, we have uh, these ingredients in here, I'm like, oh, you probably dosed around this. If you really want to do it, you can send it out, get it tested. If you know the ingredients, say, hey, test these things, I'll show you the amount of accidents. It's not that fucking hard. You may have to invest a little money if you want to know the certain things, but it's not that fucking hard, people. I'm not telling you to go out and cop people's shit, but people need to get understand something. And I have a quick side tangent, and this is, I've taken this from many approaches in life. Boyd Epley was a strength coach at the University of Nebraska for 30-plus years. People used to come in. Nebraska was a mecca of strength and conditioning coaching. This all started there. Coaches would come in in the 90s when Nebraska was raping everybody in football. Their strength and conditioning. But what, what are you doing? Like how, how? He'd take them in. He'd tour the facility. He'd show them the programming. He'd give them advice. He'd tell them this. And he'd be like, the coaches would be confused. Like, why the fuck are you telling us all this? He'd say, well, by the time you get on the plane, you're flying away. I'll be working on what's next. I'm never evolving. This isn't the MLL secret. And with what you're saying right there, there is some boxed in in terms of innovation. I think just because there's less wide open spaces, fuck the Dixie Chicks, um, Man, I'm on fire today. <laughs> For innovation-wise, there's different ways. That's complete fucking bullshit. You can innovate with new different flavors. You can do the same type of things with new novel pathways. You can bring things that are traditionally not using sports nutrition. They're exciting and bring them in. Natokinase is not a new ingredient, but we put that in high icon because it's easier to use for heart health. There's interesting data coming out that helps with vasodilation, endothelial health, and working combination with other good ingredients makes the effect even better. You know, here's here's the here's the thing for you, okay? So I'm going to just ask me a question. What does, say, pre-gym do? Like, just ask me. Pre-gym, the pre-workout? Yeah. That's what it does. <laughs> what does pre-gym do, Drew? It gives you energy, focus, strength, training, endurance, and helps with recovery. Ask me what high icon does. You, you didn't say it in the Jim Sapani voice, so I'm pretty upset. What does, what does Hyde Icon do? What is it better than pre-gym? Why is Hyde Icon better than Jim Stepani's pre-gym? Well, you see, Ryan, the generic answer is it provides energy, focus, strength, power, and train recovery. What do you mean? It does the same fucking thing. Okay. But the point is that we go about that. We did it in a newer, different, and more novel, modern way. We're not using fucking, I'm on my high horse about this. People are fucking obsessed with citroen. It's a good quality ingredient, but for fuck's sake, I saw something that was first, it was six grams. Now people do eight grams. I saw some bullshit with 10 grams. At some point, one, sit in your stomach a hockey puck. That's a different physiology episode. But two is like, why do you like citron so much? Why everybody copies it? Do you like it because, and I've quoted this before, you like it because you truly like the data, like how it makes you feel, you believe in it that much? Or do you believe in it because, oh, citron helps with blood flow? Because some fuck with a shaved head and the shitty tattoos told you it's good. There's different ways of accomplishing that. And that if you're truly innovative, you can go to the toolbox, you can think of new novel ways, combine ingredients and synergy. There are new ingredients coming out if you're not fucking lazy and you know the right people that do some really cool shit. I mean, I've seen some stuff that I'm, I cannot wait to release some way, shape, or form. And I'm hoping I get to it first because I just need the right platform. And it's not even necessarily in sports nutrition space. There's a ton of shit on the backside I've been doing with different probiotic strains. There's different things I'm looking at for digestive enzymes because I'm huge on gut health. There's different things that have um, cognitive nootropics are growing, all these different herbs, which is mm-hmm. awesome. It's not a dead space. Sometimes it's not there yet. And people and or it's just like I have to have the right application because here's the thing. It comes down to money. 
some of this shit is really expensive and people, they just don't understand it in ingredient. So like, for example, I'm going to throw a very specific number out there. There's an ingredient called Zembrin. It's a really good ingredient. It's standard dose to use. It has to be 25 milligrams. So you're blocked in and basically it's $4,000 a kilo roughly. So I'm not going to get the exact price. So in your cost of goods for a 30 serve product, that's $3 in your cost of goods. If you have 750 to work with, including label, packaging, flavoring, you can put anything else in there. That's a product in itself almost, mm -hmm. okay? And people, if you charge more, they're probably not going to give a shit about Zembrin. That's not knocking your It's just, it's like a thing, okay? Same with like, oh, we have um, branded carnison. Okay, is that extra 50 to 60 cents in the ingredient going to make the product work better? Probably fucking not, okay? So it all comes down to weighing the value it brings, the effect it brings, and the claims you can make versus the, the how much each of your cost of goods. You have to find a balance, and that's the main point of that. So that's the key is you can do the same type of thing. Because, I mean, what else is a pre-workout going to do? It's like, oh, our pre-workout makes your dick bigger. I mean, Ryan would buy stock in that company. Because yeah. yeah, I'd own the company for sure. I'd be an equity. Short. He's very short and very wide, not just his height. Um <laughs> Hey, FYI, man, we're learning a lot on this morning. But the key is, is um, you know, the, the, what the pre-workout does is only the same thing. You're not going to revolutionize. What does protein do? It helps and helps recovery, helps build muscle, provides protein. There's cool things you can do within that space, but it could be, man, everybody's done pre-workout, so everybody's protein. You're not going to get fucking crazy. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some next generation shit that's probably not legal, like SARMs. We talked about that as different. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's like, okay, that's not really a supplement. So within what's legal to do supplement-wise, it's just a matter of being creative Continue quality and thinking of better, like, you know, innovative ways. Like, oh, we found different amino acid ratios. We found different extracts of herbs. Like I said, it all comes down to using the data you have, building upon it, building better products. They're using modern dosing, modern technology, and, you know, not living in fucking 1995. I still see shit with like Argon and AKG. You're playing our Argon. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Thank you, EAS 1995. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still to this day, quite a bit. I've had some guys reach out to me with formulas that have it in there. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But um, I also want to say when it comes to formulations, one thing that I caution people on, if you're actually going to formulate and you think you're going to have a successful company is do not formulate a product in which that whole product's reason for being or success is based on the use of a single ingredient. And I say that because many companies use an ingredient that most of you heard of called DMAA, and they made a fuck ton of money on, on their pre-workout that included DMAA. When they banned DMAA, their business took a massive, massive hit. And, um, you know, I, I, I hate putting businesses out there, names out there, but there's, there's one very popular pre-workout for a business based out of South Florida, that made a ton of money. And when DMAA got banned, they lost a ton of revenue because of it. Um, and like they, it was strictly because they had 75 milligrams of DMAA in it. And people loved it. People loved the feeling that it gave them. And, but the thing is, when you build a product specifically around one ingredient, if something like that happens, then you need to, you need to in the back of your mind, know that if this shit comes down the, the pipe, what's next? And if you just wait for something bad to happen, and now you're spinning your wheels trying to make up for that, you're never going to be able to create something as effective as it once was. You're going to lose that loyal customer base to somebody else who already has. And uh, th that to me is I, – when I heard the numbers in terms of revenue that this single product did for the company and how much they lost after it, I was shocked. But it's just one of those things like if you're going to be a formulator, whether you're Google or somebody like Drew, like make sure you have a good mix of ingredients and – and be, unless that ingredient that you're using is going to be safe and you know there's never going to be an issue with it, which in this world you, you can never say never at this point, um, you know, just caution a little bit because you could lose your ass with it. 
All right, I'm gonna take a step back and have a little bit less of a rant here. Although I did not think that's the direction you're going, DMAA. I was thinking of the original DMAA. I mean, if you don't remember the original formula, Jack, bro, she's too young for you. So just stop. That's your, that's your key, guys. Listen closely. If she does remember the original Jack, that's rape. That's story rape. Drew, how did we go from formulation to rape? That's a, that's a big leap. I love it. Well, I'm just, it's actually a very accurate rate because if you fuck with DMA for long enough, you're yeah. probably in prison and therefore rape. Or you have, you know, you, you have ED. So then you actually can't rape. Yeah. I mean, there's some people that made a lot of fucking money that are currently in fucking jail. Yeah. Falsified documents. That's frowned upon. There's a lot of people who made a lot of money off of ingredients that were, were never supposed to be used. Um, some in trouble, some not in trouble. But anyway, kind of to wrap this episode up here, we talked a lot about, yes, anybody and everybody today can start a supplement company. But there are a lot of implications that go into that. There are a lot of things that you need to think of. It's not just as easy as, I mean, you can go to a contract manufacturer and buy their standard fat burner that they have. You can throw a cute little label on it and you can try to make some money. Sure. But there are a lot of things that go along with that. Like, do you care? Are you a... Are you a supplement company who markets or you want to be a marketing company who sells a supplement? Those are things to consider. Branding, marketing position, competitive advantage, competitive position. Like this is a business. At the end of the day, this is not a fucking hobby. So if you want to do this, you should – in my, my stance is you should really have the consumer, the best interest of the consumer in mind because these are things that they are ingesting into their bodies for fucking, fucking sakes. Um, and I have morals that I, I, I love money. Listen, we all love to make money. And in business, you have to make money. So when you, when you have a you know, product that you sell for 50 bucks that maybe cost you 17 to make, there's nothing wrong with that. You need to turn a fucking profit, otherwise those lights are going off. But at the same time, I think you can do it in a term that's like happy medium. You can have good marketing, good quality products, and actually give a shit about the consumer because those are the ones who are buying the fucking products. And if they believe in you and word of mouth is the best type of marketing you can get, you have yourself a slam dunk. I'll tell you this. Okay, my, now the actual advice I have from Rand, let's be real here. What you need to consider on the, on the formulation part of this, once again, this is my baby, is I do many things, supply chain, um, you know, ingredient sourcing, and formulating, of course, it's not just a matter of putting a fucking formula on paper, okay? Even if, like, oh, I researched everything, it's clinical dose, awesome. You went, you know, so I have creatine, that alanine, it was a really cool ingredient, great. I mean, I've seen some people, they, they're like, hey, can I show you something? I'm like, as long as it's not your dick. So, I mean, Ryan doesn't send me a lot of things after those texts. But they'll send me, hey, can you take a look at this? And I'm like, well, okay, sure. And so I was a formula, pre-workout usually. And I look at it, I scan through it. I'm like, dude, that one, either A, that's going to cost you $20 to make, mm-hmm. Jesus. Or B, it's like, okay, even then, it's like, why? Because there's two things I'm going to go here real quick. The kitchen sink approach. You hear, I saw one specifically, this dumb fuck formula, and I tore it apart, and it's my ongoing joke now. If it's a formula called unicorn farts or some retarded shit like this, it has like 10 grams of citrulline, a gram of agmatine, a gram of nitro. It's like, no, it had um, 600 milligrams of basil 6, uh, 300 milligrams of diamine, 100 milligrams of teacrine, DMAA, caffeine, 10 milligrams of alpha hemi. I'm like, holy shit, if this is real, this is like a $30 product to buy from the Conan. Mm-hmm. And B, like, why the fuck do you know this? You have all these things, you're going to sit in your stomach like a fucking hockey puck. You probably have a protein scoop to get all the actives in. It's not a feasible product. Right. Cost aside. It's just overkill. It's dumb. It's like, hey, we're going to make sure all your bases are covered by doing everything. That's not how it should be done. There are part two, um, and this is strictly with this. There's some nasty shit in this thing. Like, dynamine is horrible. Pico, yeah. too, is very herbal. It's not that I put in a form. I can make anything, but they keep it, too. How are you going to flavor this shit? If it's in a capsule, it doesn't matter. But most times in powder, there are certain ingredients that aren't used, especially in carbonated drinks or things like that, because they fucking taste like shit. Mm-hmm. A lot of customers in this day and age is very true. It doesn't have to just be good. It has to fucking taste amazing. If yeah. your stuff doesn't taste good exactly, like, say, the amino acid game, you're fucking dead. Your pre-workout is a little bit of wiggle room. If it fucking kicks like a horse, 
People don't give a shit. Like, oh, fuck yeah. I mean, we have a mentality. The worse it tasted, the better it worked. This day, those same products have to be have to be good. My goal when I make anything, whether it be bars, whether it be pre-workout, especially aminos, protein, I want to make something that doesn't taste good for a protein or good for a pre-workout or good for an amino. I just want to taste this taste good. Yeah. Go to something on the street with an amino product. Say, hey, try this blueberry lemonade. Like, oh, this is really good. What is this? Oh, it's a supplement. Okay, cool. Versus, oh, it's just, they're not used to it. They taste the aminos. Tastes bitter, harsh. You're not going to please everybody, but if you can win over people that don't even take the shit, you got something special. I'm not dropping any hints about shit I have dropping in um, <clears throat> January 2020, but the feedback from people I've been getting on this certain product is going to be huge. People are like, holy fuck, this is amazing. I would give this to my kids. You know, maybe a food item, maybe a drink. Who knows? We'll see. But we'll see. It all comes down to the approach. And last but not least, it, it's not just a matter of, you know, once again – putting everything the same. And speaking one last part, it's about hitting margin because you still have to make money. Yep. I don't, it, you can have the pedestal like uh, MPA subs is a great, great, great brand and they sell for like a pretty high price because it's premium ingredients. It's thoroughly dosed. It's clinical. There's a happy balance between, you know, branded versus, you know, what the price point, but it is a target consumer. You're talking tip of the spear, high end consumer, not people are going to understand it or want it, but people that do like, Oh fuck, that's amazing. It's a, finding a middle road to have something. Nobody's going to buy a $100 pre-workout. No. You know, it's all a matter of finding a balance. You have to make something that's efficacious within a price point you can live with. Don't be a cheap fuck, but then don't build a BMW M6 every time. Okay? So that's kind of my, my key points on being a form later. I can go on about this all day. But just things to consider. It's not a matter of just putting something on paper or even find a co-man. Yeah. You know, all those factors matter. Dude, this is awesome. This is a good episode. It's going to give people kind of like a, it's going to wet their whistle a little bit. Obviously, they're probably going to want a little bit more from us at some point. We have some other episodes that we can tackle it. What I'd like to do, one of these, what I'd like to see is I'd love the compound solutions to send out their tasteless dynamine to people and say, this is what it actually tastes like. And then, you, then you'll, have, you'll have more respect for these flavor houses and people who are flavoring products because it's not fucking tasteless. It still tastes like shit. Matt, Kyle. Fuck you guys. Love you, but fuck you. It is not tasteless. No. It is, it's horrible. Now, the, the, the full version of Dynamite, I mean, just, ugh, it's disgusting. So if, if, when you guys have something that tastes good and you see there's, you know, uh, 125 milligrams of, of Dynamite or something in it, appreciate the fuck out of that product because it's not easy to flavor those type of ingredients. If you like what you heard on the show, hit that subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and on YouTube. You can check us out on Facebook. We're the Iron Jungle Podcast. The Vanilla Gorilla, Drew Peters. Ryan Buckeye, until next time, y'all hang loose. Drew, what's the word of wisdom to say goodbye this week? It's not about the size of the boat. It's the motion of the ocean, my friends. Ryan Buckeye lives by that, and so can you. Every Thanks day. For tuning in. Every day. Let's go. Rock.